Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16, and it continues through 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. You can find that on page 1,891 in your pew Bibles. Hear God's word. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering for those for, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves thereto under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Thank you, Dan. And just a reminder, there's an outline in the bulletin, if that's helpful for you to follow with the message. But today we have a little space and let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts and minds as we prepare to reflect on this word. Let's pray. Amen. In the country of Australia, they have the second largest uh, sheep producing uh, process in the entire world. China's number one, Australia's number two. Last year, they raised 72.5 million head of sheep. And they have an interesting way of leading the sheep when it's time for them to be slaughtered. They have a particular sheep called a Judas sheep, or it may also be a Judas goat. This is a male castrated sheep whose job is to lead the other sheep from a bottom pen area up a ramp to the top of what is called the killing floor. Once uh, at the top, a trap door is opened for the Judas sheep. And he slips away and goes back down to the bottom pen area while the rest of the sheep go to be slaughtered. Then the Judas sheep leads another group of sheep to their final destiny. Now the spiritual lesson in this illustration, in this process, is be careful who you follow and know who you are following in your life. 
Jesus Christ claims to be the Good Shepherd who promises never to lead us astray. And from the very beginning of the Christian church, Jesus assigns what we call elders to be what are sometimes referred to as under-shepherds of his church. Leaders who give direction and oversight to congregations. In Peter's letter to a cluster of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, he gives specific instructions for the elders of each congregation. Apparently, these churches are facing serious persecution because they follow Jesus. Peter refers to their sufferings as a form of purifying judgment. There's a pattern in the Bible when it comes to judgment. This pattern is one where God purifies and disciplines his people, his church, which is then followed by a judgment of condemnation that moves out into the unbelieving world. This is summarized in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So it's in light of this purifying suffering that Peter gives instructions to the shepherd elders of these churches. And there's four observations for how elders are to lead the flock. And these are relevant for us this morning. These are observations to look for, for proof of authenticity of shepherd elders. And of course, it applies to our leadership. The first observation is that leaders will lead willingly. Verse 1 and 2, he says to the elders among you, chapter 5, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Peter tells us to exercise oversight not out of compulsion, but out of one's own accord. And why does he begin by telling them to lead willingly? One reason could be the temptation to be lazy and sluggish and be grudgingly in your service. But the threat of persecution is more likely. When someone, or Satan himself, wants to bring down a church or bring down a ministry, they go after the leaders. Taking the role of an elder in God's church, especially which Peter is writing to, is dangerous. It is hard. You become a spiritual target. Leaders of the flock are more visible and sometimes more vulnerable. If we look at what happened to the leaders in the very beginnings of the early church, like Stephen and, and Peter and James, we see that Stephen is killed in Acts 7, James is killed in Acts 12, and Peter barely escapes the sword of Herod by a miracle. It's understandable for elder shepherds to look for another job. But another reason elders might shrink back from their duty is they're also vulnerable to God's judgment in a peculiar way. 
Again, recall 1 Peter 4.17, where it says, The Lord's judgment begins with the house of God. This is a reference to Ezekiel 9 in the Old Testament, where God brings a judgment upon the Israelites, upon the people, because of their unbelief and their ways. And he begins with the elders. In that story, God tells an angel to go to Jerusalem, go through the city, and put a mark on the foreheads of all those whose hearts are grieving the sins that are being committed amongst the people. And then to the others, the angel is instructed to, to execute capital punishment and to start in the sanctuary with the elders because they as leaders have defiled the temple. In other words, when the Lord brings judgment on the house of God, it begins with the leadership. So it's not surprising if the elders in the churches of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadonia and Asia and Bithynia are reluctant to exercise oversight. But if we understand this correctly, this Danger and this difficulty in leadership is a test. It's a test of a true elder shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, He said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The hired man runs away because he's a hireling. He's not concerned about the sheep. So the presence of danger and trouble for the church separates those who are genuine elders from those who serve for selfish motives, those who may be Judas sheep. Obviously, the church wants elders and deacons who willingly serve who willingly volunteer their gifts and time, even if it's sacrificial, even if it's difficult, because they're the ones who will persevere. A second observation instructs elders to lead eagerly. At the end of verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Peter's addressing here the temptation to greed and dishonesty in leadership, and this applies especially to us who make our living doing ministry. The New Testament is clear that it's acceptable to earn a living as a pastor elder. The key words here are dishonest, dishonest gain. And again, it speaks to the motivation of the leader. And in, this, in the first point, the challenge for leaders is to serve because they want to. And in this point, he challenges elders who may take leadership position for some economic or monetary or prestige advantage. I've known people who join church as a means to promote their business, to bring visibility to their business. So it wouldn't be unreasonable for someone to want to be an elder or deacon for the same reason. Peter's challenge is to pursue ministry with eagerness. That means to love the work you do, to find joy in leading. 
Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When we give and serve freely, we are blessed. So elders are called to lead willingly and eagerly. And thirdly, we observe the instruction for elders to serve by example. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I think we all understand how a major temptation for those in leadership is to domineer, is to control the decisions and control the people of the church. And Peter warns against this kind of pride and lust for power, lording it over implies ego and pride. Now there's different ways you can do that. To lord it over, you can, you can be boisterous and domineering, you can be an emotional bully. Or you can be more subtle, you can be manipulative, passively aggressive in your leadership. Another option is to be a politician who measures his or her words very carefully and creates alliances with the powerful and the wealthy and the influential. But having authority and leadership becomes a test. It becomes a test of one's integrity. It's a test of the consistency between what the kingdom and church's purposes are and the life and leadership style of its elders. The elders and deacons have responsibility for the people and ministry of the congregation. They are put under their care. And Peter uses the word entrusted. You are entrusted with these congregations. You may recall the parable Jesus told in Matthew 25 where there was a man going on a journey who calls together his servants and he entrusts their property to, his property to them. To one he gives five talents of money, to another two, and to another one one, each according to their ability. And then when he returns from his journey, the man settles accounts with his servants. The one who received five talents has gained five more. The man who was given two talents, he gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had been given one talent, he buried his talent because he was afraid of his master. And the response from the master is, you wicked, lazy servant. And the one talent he had was taken away from him and given to the others. The point here is leaders are entrusted with the ministry of the church. And we are expected to be fruitful, as the parable shows. There's no place for heavy-handed, manipulative dominance in the process. Rather, how we live our lives, Paul Peter says, are to be worthy of imitation in the church. Worthy of imitating. The most powerful, influential leaders are those who have the ability to be examples, to influence by modeling rather than by control 
or manipulation or dominance. And that leads us then into the fourth and last observation we make from Peter's instructions. Leader and elders are to lead with humility. With humility. Verses 5 and 6 says, In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. In other words, respect their leadership, their authority. But then he says, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will lift you up in due time. Peter begins instructing the flock to respect and submit to the leadership and the authority of the elders. And if we're honest, all of us have a resistance to authority. We all struggle with it. Even in marriage, there are power struggles. And, and if elders, let me use the word but, if elders follow these instructions of leading willingly and eagerly and by example and with humility, there will be no fear of following that, that person and those people. They will be trustworthy. And then there's a mutual submission that he clearly states in the second part of verse 5 where he says, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. He's describing a mutual submission to one another. The Apostle Paul does the same thing in Ephesians 5 when he talks about marriage. Ephesians 5.21 begins, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes on in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. The, the analogy is husbands and elders are to give leadership in the context of mutual submission, in the context of humility. Another way that's popular to describe this is that we are to be servant leaders. Servant leaders serve without a need for personal recognition or visibility, who are willing to sacrifice for the needs and the progress of the people, who will give up their rights for the greater good, who know when it's time to pass on the baton, and most of all, who desires their leadership to bring glory to God. Peter reminds us in verse 4 that we are all, and that includes leadership, under the chief shepherd, Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the ideal servant leader who lays down his life for those he leads, who lays aside his rights as God and becomes a servant and endures ridicule and shame for our sake. And the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10 tells the story of the disciples having an argument about who was the greatest disciple. And Jesus gets pretty irritated with them and he confronts them. He says, look, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles do what? They lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. That's not how we're going to do it. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now I realize all of this, this is hard. This is difficult stuff. And given the nature and expectation of leadership in the church of Christ, with there being trials, with leaders being vulnerable to God's judgment, to the temptations to be lazy and greedy and dishonest and proud, who is, want, who is going to want to sign up? <laughs> okay, there's a volunteer. Let's get started. <laughs> Leadership is stressful. Leadership is thankless. And there's little immediate reward. So what is our motivation? What sustains leaders through adversity and keeps us willing and eager and humble? Peter says very simply in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, when he comes again, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Friends, what keeps leaders going is not the love of money or the love of power. What keeps us going is that when the chief shepherd comes, he's going to call us to account. And he's going to ask us, did you feed my sheep? Were you vigilant over the souls of my sheep? Did you seek out the lost sheep? Did you guard the deposit of truth? Did you stand watch against wolves in sheep clothing? And did you lead my flock? And with this special accountability, when the chief shepherd comes, with him also comes an everlasting reward, an unfading crown of glory. Friends, will that be enough? Will that be enough for the elder shepherd? If we really believe this morning we will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous, if elders believe that when the chief shepherd appears, he will give us an unfading crown of glory, then we will be motivated. We will have strength to do what he calls us to do. There will be, most of the time, feelings of inadequacy. It's too much. But it's in those times we refocus our eyes back to eternity and keep our eyes on Jesus, the chief shepherd, whom the writer of Hebrews said is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and will not lose heart. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you as the chief shepherd and as the one last week who is the vine 
in whom we must abide. We declare you as the author and finisher of our faith, and we praise you for enduring the cross and enduring shame and suffering on our sake. And Lord, help us to see the joy, the joy that you have received and the authority and power and honor at the right hand of God. Help us to keep our eyes on you as we lead in the different places in our lives and especially as our elders and deacons uh, and staff lead in this congregation. Give us a spirit of willingness. Give us a feeling of, of eagerness and desire to lead and serve. Help us make our lives worthy of imitation and may there be a spirit of humility in all of it. Lord, we pray for your church that as you call those to lead and call others to follow, that all of us would use our gifts and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and be a light in this world and in this community, this region, and that we will make a difference for your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you. We know that you give us salvation by grace. We rest in that. But we thank you for the crown of glory that will come with our service. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.